Thank you for our Bible readings. Please do keep your Bibles close at hand uh, as we go on this morning because we'll be referring to both of those stories as we go along. Now, we are going to, as I said, spend the next few weeks talking about uh, money. This is more something that's geared towards our regulars. Uh, if you're here and you're just visiting and dropping in and thinking, what have I done as I come in and suddenly they're talking about God and money, this is, well, perhaps not unexpected in a church in some circles. Uh, this is not as much for you as it is for our regulars. However, uh, because what we will be talking more about is about God's attitude towards money and the fullness of what Scripture says about it, it might be very relevant after all. Our goal here is not just to increase giving. Right? So I'm going to give that spoiler first up, that uh, that is not the purpose of having a series looking at God and money. That might be one way that you respond to it. It might not. The goal is rather to encourage us to think in a godly and scriptural way about wealth and to act accordingly. Right? That is our goal over the next few weeks. So I want to start this morning by asking the question, do you think that God cares about our money? Now, I don't want us to be answering the question, what do I think is the right Christian answer to whether God cares about my money. I want us to honestly answer that question. Do you believe that God cares what you do with your money? Uh, and if so, do you live in such a way that reflects that? Now, I suspect that many of us, if we were to be honest rather than say what we think we're expected to say, uh, would probably answer no to that question. We would probably say, no, God is more concerned with the spiritual world than he is for the physical world. And if you are someone who thinks in those terms, then uh, we will probably be more concerned with doing the right spiritual rituals to honour God. Rituals like coming to church on a Sunday morning, wearing your Sunday best, working very hard at being seen to be a respectable person, perhaps knowing all the right words and responses to say, at the right point of the service, because we think that is the sphere that God is interested in. He's interested in the churchy parts of life rather than the material parts of life. And so we create, if we think in this way, this divide between things God cares about and things that God doesn't care about. God cares about what happens when we're inside the church, we think. He doesn't care about the time we might want to spend with our families. He doesn't care about the work we're doing in the garden on the weekend. He doesn't care about how we seek to balance our budget. We pass a collection bag, but really that's a formality to keep God on side. And it is something of a formality for many Christians. The number one question that Christians ask about giving to church is, what's the right percentage for me to work out? We just want someone to give us the formula so that we can go through uh, the right motions to keep God on side. In truth, God doesn't factor into very many of our material decisions. Now, historically, people have gone even further than that. Historically speaking, many Christians have said, well, God is actually against material things. You may have heard stories of the monks in the medieval times uh, wandering around with no shoes on, sleeping on uh, old boards or stone slabs, eating the most basic foods so that they could demonstrate their love for God by giving up any kind of material comforts. 
we're not likely to go to that extreme. We're more likely just to separate the material world from the spiritual world and say either God doesn't care what I do with my material goods or it's not really his business anyway. But some people think that God is deeply concerned for material things. Some people think he doesn't care about them all. Others think that he is deeply concerned, but he is concerned in a positive way in that he wants to make sure that you have as many material things as possible. God wants you, they will say, to be comfortably well off, to enjoy all of the blessings of creation that he has made. And so they will say, if you are faithful and obedient to God, then that will be exactly your experience. Now, That takes different forms as well. The televangelists will tell you that if you send them a certain amount of money, that God will increase whatever you give many times over. Uh, Most of us probably wouldn't fall for that one. But we do probably have this vague sense in our heads that if we are good, if we do enough of the right things, that God will reward us for being good. And we might be shocked when that doesn't happen. We feel as though the wealth we have is somehow a material demonstration of our faithfulness as followers of Jesus. And in fact, even talking about money in a church is a dangerous thing, isn't it? It's one of those things that we need to be very careful about because we think God has no business poking into my private affairs. Even to mention the word money in church will start many people thinking, here we go. I knew this appeal was going to come eventually. And I want to repeat that reminder that this is not a series about giving more money. It's one that is about being godly with what God has given us. And we're going to find that that is a lot harder than finding the right percentage to give to church. So how are we going to go about doing this? Well, I think in order to think in a godly fashion about the wealth that we have needs us uh, to spend some time looking through the fullness of what the Bible has to say about material things. Uh, And there is such a range of thinking on it, such a range of expression of that, that we want to be careful to do that in a way that's faithful to the whole of what Scripture says about money and not just pick and choose parts that support what we already believe. That's going to be the approach we have, our approach for this morning, is to try to establish something of a framework for how we can even begin. But before we do that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you have given us so much. We thank you that everything comes from your hand. And we pray, Lord, that as we begin this morning, this series, in thinking about how we respond to that, that you will help us to be humble, uh, that you will help us to be wise, and that you will help us to be generous in how we view your grace towards us. We pray for your guidance this morning and for the weeks to come. And we pray for your spirit to be at work in us that we might respond to not just be hearers of your word, but to be doers day by day. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Right. So let's set up a framework for how we can think about wealth. And we want to start here as a starting point. Uh, All wealth belongs to God. Right? This is kind of the first plank in the framework that we are building. There's a verse up there on the screen from Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. 
Now, it's a great verse. It's one that might be familiar to you. You may even have heard songs of this uh, particular verse. It's been put to music a number of times. Uh, I think that that is a verse that we would agree to conceptually. I think most of us have no problem at all saying, yep, we're Christians. The earth is the Lord's. Absolutely. Everything in it goes without saying. But do we really mean everything in it? It's very easy to agree with conceptually, but what about practically? What about in the way that we actually go about life? I mean, we're, we're more than happy to grant the natural world to God, aren't we? The mountains belong to God, sure. Oceans, the animals, the forests, all of those kinds of things. But does God really care what's in my living room? Does God really care what car I drive? How big my TV might be? Does God care where I go on my holidays? Does God care what I spend my money on? Is that really his business? You see, we're happy to give God the control, aren't we, of the big picture. We're happy to give God control of the natural things. We may even offer God some of the detail, the part that we set aside for his use. But it's still a big step to take to get to the point of saying everything belongs to God. Every detail Every part of every day belongs to God. You see, to us, God seems more at home in a place like this. It's a limited portion of our lives, isn't it? On Sunday mornings, that's where God belongs, somewhere with rich carpets, somewhere with stained glass windows, somewhere with high ceilings, mildly uncomfortable chairs, and strange bits of carved furniture scattered here and there everywhere. God belongs in a place like that much more than he does, we think, around the dinner table or sitting in the lounge room or in the shopping centre, or the neon lights of the workplace. But if the earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, then nothing that we have belongs to us. That's the first mental shift that's required to start thinking about wealth the way that the Bible speaks of it. If the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, nothing belongs to us. And that means the way we use everything should take its true owner into consideration. Now, in a sense, we know that. In a sense, we know that because we see that, don't we? If we've borrowed something from someone, or perhaps we see it even more clearly, if we've ever lent something to someone, we have an expectation that they will take care of whatever it is that they have given, uh, that we have given them. Uh, we treat other people's possessions differently from the way that we treat our own possessions. And you can probably think of times when you've lent something out and it's come back uh, much the worse for wear, or when you've had perhaps to explain yourself uh, when you've returned something that you've broken. In theory, at least, we treat other people's possessions better than we treat our own possessions. Now, that is a starting point for how we think about the material things that God has given us. And in fact, that is our first parable that we heard read for us this morning from Mark chapter 12. Uh, there, Jesus spoke about a man who planted and prepared a vineyard. So he speaks of this man who goes, he buys a patch of land, he plows it, he plants the grapes, lets the vines grow, uh, he sets up security, he puts a fence there so that the wild animals don't go trampling through his vineyard, he puts a wine press there so that when the grapes have grown they can be turned uh, into wine, he does everything that he needs to do and then he moves to somewhere else and he rents it out to some tenants. So basically it's an investment property, isn't it? 
That's what he's done. He's bought something so that he can rent it to other people and make a profit from it. It's no different to a modern person buying a house down at Victor Harbour and allowing it to be rented by others. But it's an agricultural society and that means that rather than getting an electronic transfer at the end of each month, he expects to collect a portion of what uh, the the property has produced. Now that's pretty reasonable. He's not demanding anything beyond what it should be able to provide, just a portion uh, of what comes off the land. That's fair. And so when the time comes at the end of the season, he sends the real estate manager to go around and to collect the rent for his investment property. But they beat up the real estate manager and throw him out of the vineyard. Now, it's a bit strange. So the uh, property management company sends another one, but the same thing happens and he sends another one. And the third time they beat him so badly that they almost kill him. Now, let's hit pause on this story just for a moment and take a step back. This is completely outrageous, isn't it? If you owned a holiday rental, perhaps some of you do own a holiday rental and you got a call from the property agent saying that, well, we tried to collect your rent this month, but everybody that we send around to their house, they just beat up and throw off the land. We're not really sure what else to do. The tenant just keeps violently assaulting everyone who goes around to their house. You would say, well, have you tried calling the police, perhaps? They might go and sort them out. They should be laying charges against these people. There is no way that we would allow this to happen to a property that we owned. But that's the whole point of the story that Jesus is telling. It's an outrageous story. It does not make sense. This is not how things happen. You see, we have the tendency to read these parables that Jesus tells 20 centuries later and we go, oh, well, ancient times, they were a bit unusual Perhaps that was a way of saying you didn't have the rent this month. You just punch them in the face instead and we kind of gloss over and move on. We should be thoroughly outraged at this point. If this was a friend telling you about their experiences in the property rental game, uh, you would be absolutely outraged. But instead of calling in the soldiers to which he had every right, uh, the landlord here sends one last messenger his son. Now, that's pretty stupid. Don't you think? I mean, we've seen what happened to the last three. Why would you be sending your son? Uh, that's a pretty unusual approach to take. Again, what we should be thinking. But perhaps he thinks, if I send my own son, they will listen and do what's right. But instead of listening, though, the tenants say to one another, ah, this is the heir. So let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. And so they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. Now again, we want to hit pause on this story and put it into a modern context. We've already said that this could have been a story uh, about a rental property. Imagine this time that you are the tenant occupying that house. And imagine that you are told that the owner himself or perhaps uh, one of his children is coming around to... uh, collect your rent for that month or to do the property inspection or whatever else he might be doing, in what possible planet would you think, ah, the landlord's coming over. I'll kill him, then it will be my house. That doesn't make any kind of sense, does it? You, you don't do that because you know if you do that, you're going to jail. That's how this story should end. And those who are listening to Jesus know that as well. Jesus says to them, what then will the owner of the vineyard do? It's a rhetorical question. They know that the owner of the vineyard is not going to say, well, that's just the way it goes sometimes, I suppose. No, they know the answer. Jesus says he will come and he will kill those tenants 
and give the vineyard to others. That's how the story ends, because that's justice in the first century. That's what is right in response to such a ridiculous tenant who thinks that they can get away with this kind of audacity. There is no possible world where a tenant could think like this and imagine that beating up property managers and killing the, the true owner would let them keep what they are renting. But Jesus tells parables for a point and his point here is to say to his hearers, this is exactly what you do. Because if we are honest, we don't see God as our landlord, do we? We don't see ourselves as tenants in the things that we have. We see God as being more like a personal advisor, a life coach, perhaps a financial planner. So if you go to see a financial planner, they give you advice, don't they? They say, here's the plan that I've come up with you. This is what I think is the best thing for you to do uh, with your money. They make suggestions. They may be good suggestions. They may be better suggestions than you would have come up with yourself. But at the end of the day, they are no more than advice. You are free to do with it what you will. You can invest as your financial planner has told you, or you can go and spend the whole lot on whatever you like. It's entirely up to you. The money at the end of the day is yours. Jesus tells us this parable so that we might see this element of what that verse that we had up there before means. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. God is not an advisor God is not a life coach. God is the owner. This is the first part of our framework and that first mental shift that we have to make to understand our wealth not as belonging to us but as belonging to God. And so we are not the owners. We are merely the stewards. And this is not an option either. It's not a suggestion Um, It's not an invitation to maybe consider whether or not we think things are really God's. It's a statement of what's real. You see, for the tenant, choosing to reject every one of the property managers who came round didn't magically transfer ownership to themselves. It just meant that they were rejecting the reality of the situation. And the same thing is true for us. This is a statement of what is. If you believe in God and his son, then you believe that everything belongs to him. And that should radically change the way that we use what we have. Because if we think of all we have as belonging to God, we will use it differently. And that leads us on to the second part of our framework. Understanding God to be the owner of everything should define the way that we use our properties, our wealth. Now, when I say wealth here... I don't just mean wealthy people. This is probably an important uh, clarification uh, to make. It's a a common belief uh, these days that uh, the obligation to change things belongs to the exceptionally wealthy. You know, it's the really rich people that should be doing something uh, to fix the problems of the world. The ultra wealthy, not the ordinary people like you and me. It's not our responsibility, we think. It's theirs. It's the responsibility of those who have more than we do. Wealth here is not just talking about people who have lots. It's talking about anything, any material possessions that we have, great or small. It can be a lot. It can be a little. If God is the king of everything, 
then that means the same rules apply to everything. And so if it's God's, not ours, we are obliged to use it in his way. And you see that, don't you, in the story of the tenants in the vineyard, right? The owner has planted a vineyard. And so if you rent the vineyard, you're obliged to use it in a certain way. Grow grapes, make wine. The tenants aren't free to say, actually, I just want to pull all the grapes out and build a house with a big pool for myself instead and just hang around in that. No, it's not an option because it doesn't belong to you. You're renting it. It's not yours. You use it in accordance with what the owner wants. So how does that affect the way that we think about our wealth? If it's all God's, does that mean that we should just sell everything that we own and give all the money to the church and go and live a monastic life uh, up Anstey Hill or something like that? Uh, certainly that's probably what a few of us expect to hear uh, when we come to hear a talk about money. But while that's an easy application, it's not necessarily the right one. Because the job of being a steward is an ongoing one. And the second reading that we heard picks up on that one a little. It's not just about divesting ourselves of all responsibility and wealth. It's about managing God's things well. Now, this is a bit of a strange story. It's particularly a strange story to say that it's about managing things well, isn't it? Because here, in this second story from Luke, we have a manager who is looking after his master's business, but he's doing it badly. And word gets around that he's not doing it well at all, and so the master is about to fire him, and so he cooks up this plan to protect himself. He invites everybody around who owes his master money or owes his master a debt, and he slashes huge amounts off each one of their bills. And by the time he's done, he figures, I'm still losing my job, but I was losing my job anyway. At least now I've got some friends who look after me uh, when I'm unemployed. Uh, And we look at this story and we say, what on earth is going on here? How does this make sense? Is this advice on how we should conduct ourselves in business? Uh, It's not. And Jesus goes on to explain why not in the last few verses of the parable. Verse 8, he says, For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than other people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Right, so straight away he tells you this is not how to run a business advice. This is saying something about how our use of material things can be connected to our eternal destiny, right? Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into Eternal dwellings. You've got temporary material things. You've got eternal dwellings. But even still, it's a little bit confusing uh, because what does that mean exactly to use wealth to gain friends for yourself so you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings? That could mean use your money to buy people into the church. You know, we could fill the place up, couldn't we, if we pulled all our money together and went out there and said, we'll pay everybody $1,000 to come to church. We'd have the place full. Uh, We'd also run out of money. But at least we'd have a couple of full weeks uh, before that happened. Uh, But that would ignore the rest of the passage, wouldn't it? If we keep going on from here, we see in verse 10. Now, this is where uh, it really hits the road, and it's, it's a gold passage. In verse 10, Jesus says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? 
And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, well, who will give you property of your own? So what we see here is that he's working from a principle of a little bit to a lot. If you're faithful with a little bit, you'll be faithful with a lot. If you're unfaithful with a little bit, you'll be unfaithful with a lot. Now, we've possibly seen this in the past in teaching children about money. right? If you want to teach children about money, you might give them a small amount uh, and help them think about how they might use that uh, and then help them to learn the lessons, whether they use that well or poorly. Uh, And the idea is so that as they get older and have more money, that they might use it well in the future. Right? You learn how to use a little bit well so that you use a lot well. That's the first part. The second part is that he's still talking about something of earthly significance and something of eternal significance. Right? So the little bit to a lot here, the little bit is the worldly wealth. If you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Well, what are true riches? Not just more money because that's still just worldly wealth. True riches are of eternal significance. If you haven't been trustworthy with someone else's property, with God's property, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, who will give you property of your own? I know quite what that looks like. We might not 100% be sure, uh, but that's certainly an image that Jesus uses for those who are faithful to him. Uh, he says that you, you, know, you will uh, receive that responsibility in eternity. If we can't be trusted with the wealth that God has given us now, why would he give us anything more significant? If the way we handle our money, our possessions, shows that we care only about ourselves, why would God allow us to use anything more significant? The way we handle money takes on an eternal context for Jesus in this passage. Wealth is simply something that God has given us to use for the sake of the kingdom. If we hoard worldly wealth now, if we invest in ourselves, if we fail to see opportunities to use it for God's kingdom, that only suggests that God's kingdom is not that important to us, certainly not as important as having more wealth. And Jesus puts that as bluntly as he can uh, in summing up the story. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. There's not much ambiguity there, is there? Uh, Because I think a lot of his hearers, both then and now, think that we can serve both God and money. In Jesus' eyes, we are either actively using our wealth to serve God or serve ourselves. Uh, There is no middle ground, he says, in thinking about wealth. Money isn't bad if it's used well, so use it well. Uh, Those are our two parameters to thinking about wealth uh, that we've started with this morning. This is how God speaks to us about wealth. We're going to use those in the coming weeks uh, to go. Uh, Everything we have belongs to God. That's the first one. Because everything we have belongs to God, it should be used wisely for his sake. That's the second one. Okay, let's finish up by saying a couple of things about how we can use our wealth differently but effectively. Now, the first one is not just to think about wealth in the context of cash or disposable income, the size of our bank balance, but to think about wealth more broadly about everything that we have. 
And you can think about that in the biblical times. Uh, the idea of cash was pretty foreign to them. They worked more in an idea of trade and possessions. What you had represented your material wealth. And I think that's important for us because we share that same tendency, don't we, to wrap up our, our money in investments. Uh, initially, it might be a car, a house. Uh, then we move on to other things. We, we start other investments. We might not own everything outright, Some of us carry a lot of debt, uh, but particularly the key point is that it means we don't have much cash, do we, at the end of the month? And that provides a very convenient excuse to say, well, money's too tight to be generous this week. But it's not just about money. It's about wealth. Yes, wealth includes how much cash we have, but it also includes the possessions we have. If we've invested in that car, that house, that investment property, well, that's still something that can be used for God's kingdom. Uh, It includes our time, our relationships, our social lives. Everything we have belongs to God. There aren't limits on what he lays claim over. So think more broadly when you think wealth, wealth. Don't just think about the money that you have in your pocket. Secondly, We should cultivate an attitude of thankfulness rather than entitlement. Uh, It is so easy for us to think that everything that we have belongs to us because, after all, we worked for it, didn't we? Our challenge is to move ourselves away from thinking, this is mine and I deserve it, so I'll do what I please, to thinking, this belongs to God, how might he have me use it? Uh, Now, that might be a really good exercise to do in the course of this week, a good way to be a doer of God's word and not just a hearer, to look at your life, to look at what you have and to ask yourself the question, am I using it for God? How can I use this for God? Uh, And perhaps if we're not sure what those opportunities are, that might be a conversation that we can have uh, in our small groups with our friends as we meet together. Third thing, how do I use my wealth for the sake of others and not just myself. Right? If it's about using what we have well for the sake of God's kingdom, how do we do that uh, in that way? If you have a house with a lot of space, how do you use it uh, to invest in the lives of other people? Uh, if you have a lot of time but no money, how are you using your time for the sake of others and for God's kingdom? If it's the other way around, how do you use your resources in that way? Look at the people that are around you. Uh, Not just here, not just our friends, not just the people that we meet with in church, but everybody that we interact with. How can what we have and the opportunities we have be better used to serve others for the sake of God's kingdom? And the final question, if you didn't know Jesus, would there be any difference in the way that you use those things? Or would your life look much the same just without church on a Sunday morning? As believers, we should be able to see the difference that he makes to the way that we live. That's a lot to think about, or rather a lot to talk about, because I think all too often we let this kind of passage just wash over us. We, we hear a challenge, but then we immediately forget about it over coffee after church. Uh, I think this is a bit too important to not take seriously, uh, really. As you look at Jesus' last words there, you cannot serve both God and money. That means there's a choice to be made and an action to be taken. So why don't we pray that we get this one right. 
Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your grace towards us. We do thank you that you have given us so many good things and we thank you that every good thing does come from your hand. Uh, We pray, Lord, that you will help us to see that all that we have, all that we are and all that we do belongs to you. And we pray that you'll also help us to see that that doesn't mean that we should just give up on those things, uh, but rather that we should steward them well. Uh, Help us to be people who are driven by generosity, not greed, uh, driven by love and not selfishness and people who see those opportunities to serve you and serve your kingdom, even as we love and serve one another. Lord, we pray that this will be something that we talk about and explore, and that you will give us your wisdom uh, to act upon, and also the gift of your spirit uh, to guide us as we seek to make decisions for you. And we pray that we would do so in a way that is so obvious and so visible uh, that that is what motivates us that it will help others to see the attractiveness of your gospel and what it is to follow you. And we ask all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.